Welcome to this episode of Keep the Hotel Empty. I'm your host, Eric Paul. In studio today, we are grateful to welcome in guitarist, composer, and mastermind behind Appear Unbound, Andrew Stout. In this episode, Andrew discusses his roots and inspirations, some of the composing techniques he uses, and where being a guitarist has taken him and continues to take him. Please enjoy. Welcome to Keep the Hotel Empty. Today we've kept the hotel empty to welcome in Andrew Stout, guitarist, composer, and mastermind behind Appear Unbound, power metal band. Welcome, Andrew. Appreciate you having me on the show and looking forward to taking a deep dive on the journey and things to come and all that good stuff. Yeah. So I know you're an accomplished guitarist and accomplished composer, and I know this sort of thing doesn't happen overnight. So kind of take me back to the beginning where life goes from Andrew the Kid to Andrew the Kid that loves music. Andrew the Kid was a six-year-old boy that was playing a lot of Nintendo 64 at the time, and my cousin brought over a bunch of games from Ocarina of Time to Tony Hawk. And the Tony Hawk games are what got me into the punk rocks, the metal, the classical side comes from Ocarina of Time, as you've heard with some of the orchestral elements of, of Appear on Bound. And right. So that end of it was a lot of video game addiction, a lot of weekend parties playing video games with a bunch of dead Kennedys and Rage It Against the Machine and all that with the Tony Hawk games and storytelling from the Ocarina of Time games and the music that is in the background of all that. So... That's where that starts as six-year-old boy. Then that goes into a few years later, I have a family friend who was really into guitar, and me and a few other friends picked up guitar from that. So age 12 was where I picked up the guitar, and it was just a fun little hobby, just get around to learning some new songs, and wasn't something that I really got into until I was 16. That's when I started learning Rush, Dream Theater, and all the these deep other end of the pool. <laughs> that's when we get deeper and deeper, and only gets crazier from there. But that's the short end of that. So whole when thing. you it's first started playing, what what kind of stuff were you playing? Were you playing the stuff from Tony Hawk, or were you instantly starting to noodle on your own sounds in your head? Um, so Dead Kennedys, and then you hear the classic rock, ACDC, Metallica, and those bands. So they're the, those are the gateway bands that you start learning at that time. And then you're learning popular songs because everyone wants to hear the popular songs. You Metallica, Switchfoot, this band, that band, Top 40 band. And then as you get deeper and deeper, that's when you start taking guitar lessons at age 12, going on to your late teens, early adulthood. That's when you learn Rush, Dream Theater, and then even some jazz stuff, Autumn Leaves, Take Five. And that's where a lot of the jazz theory starts coming in. And that's when I started getting a lot more into the progressive side of things and... Yeah. So you did have traditional lessons. Yep. Did you do that right away, or did you play for a little bit before you did that? It was on and off with a few different teachers for me, and then the last teacher I had was in a school in North Carolina back when I was living up there, Cape Fear Music Center. That's when Guy Unger, fantastic guitar player, graduate of Atlanta Institute of Music, and that's when I got into the rushes, the dream theaters, the jazz theory, and that's when I started taking this a lot more seriously. Do you think that you would have been able to get to that point that quickly had you not taken lessons? Or do you think that the lessons really helped you progress quicker than the, the self-taught, so as it were? I think, for my case, I think the lessons helped a lot in that. And then that's right in the mix on when YouTube started, started becoming a huge thing, which you hear about your 10-year-old kid that's starting to learn from all these YouTube videos now. Like, I don't know how old you are. I'm 31 now, but me being a teenager, that's when YouTube started becoming this big thing. So you're coming at the end of having the lessons and having the traditional way of doing things. And then that's when YouTube starts coming in. And that's not only for lessons, that's for getting into all this music. That's when the gent scene started coming around and you're getting this nice mix of everything going on. And yeah. So you're like high school age at this point where you can really start to exponentially build on learning the punk rock songs. Yep. So when does that take you into being in a band or did you start writing your own music first or what's the next step now that you got a good skill set under your belt? So I dabbled with some friends and we jammed in high school years and tried to get a couple things going around. That's when I wanted to start getting more into the songwriting type of thing. And then 
I had people that started off that way, but then they get into the peer pressure of following whatever's popular in that particular scene. So as I'm getting more into the progressive heavy metal side of things, they want to play more emo pop punk, which (laughs) nothing wrong with that, but having different conflating views eventually starts clashing as a nice way of putting it. But yeah, you learn your different values, you learn and grow along the way and yeah. So the compositions are as much of the skill as the guitar playing. When was it that you started to compose these types of of bigger songs? I guess maybe a better question to start with is, and I'm sure this is one you get a lot, and I know this is relative to the answer to the question I just asked. What does the name Apiron Bound mean? So Apiron is Greek for infinite, boundless, eternal, and then bound in this particular context is confined. And when we were coming up with different band names, we wanted something that had a bit of a balance in the name. My particular meaning of the phrase appear on bound is akin to the yin-yang philosophy. So finding balance in life, which I've seen people come up with their own theories of what appear on bound means. Some people think it's an obsession with the infinite or being bound to the infinite, which if you find meaning in that cool, but to me, it's akin to finding balance, not getting too obsessed with the infinite, but finding ways to keep pushing yourself or whatever you want it to mean. Really? And this name does reflect the sound, yeah? Yes. Okay, so how would you describe that? So the sound, we have the most brutal elements of extreme metal, melodic death metal, black metal. Then you get into the orchestral elements of video game soundtrack music, new age, and then the in-betweens with alternative influences and everything in between. So when you first start writing songs by yourself, when you left the, the traditional you know, high school band yeah. scene, which we've all, or I should say all of us musicians, you wind up there. Um, how is it that you start making these songs? Did you do it by yourself? Did you find another writing partner? I spent a lot of time writing by myself. So you're going from 18, 19 year old kid. And then even up to now, you just build a catalog of different ideas. And after a while, I stopped trying to find people in North Carolina. It wasn't really until I moved to Florida in 2015 and then going to Prague Power a year later that things started coming together as far as finding people. But having this catalog of music that I've written, like with the debut record, Multiplicity, a lot of those songs were written actually in 2011, 2012. Half of Stockholm is 2011, and Firmament is pretty much 2012, and that's just a whole another can of worms that we could go into. Right. Well, we definitely can. Um, But so talk to me about when you first sit down, what is it like when you first sit down? What's the software you're looking at? What's your game plan? Because you were venturing into the unknown for you at this point, yeah? Mm -hmm. So I'm just practicing scales or playing around with different riff ideas and something will come up along along the way and then I'll pull up my Guitar Pro and I'll just put it into there. I know the traditional way of doing that is just recording, but I don't want to forget it. So just tab it out into sheet music on a guitar pro and then keep that play around with it some more, see what I can come up with for the different guitar sounds, the orchestral elements, the drum programming and everything between, and then let the ADD take over and move on to the next thing and do it all over again until you've completed it. And then at that point, 2018 was when I found Michael, and Michael was vocalist of Alpha Decay. I was actually doing merch work for Ionios at the time, which is an old, old extreme power progressive metal band at the time, and hit it off, and we really liked what we did, and started recruiting people slowly and along the way. So this was pre-COVID. Oh, Yeah. Much pre-COVID or this was... Much, much pre-COVID. So 2018, 2019 was recording, writing, and getting everything finalized for the release. And we actually had intentions of releasing it in 2020. Bittersweet moment with COVID. It's given us extra two years to get music videos done, finding the label, and getting everything ready for the release aspect of it for 2022. So you spent from like 2011, 2012 to 2018 compiling all this material. Yep, and I'm still compiling to this day, but just never stops, never stops. So what was what was the moment in 2018 when you were like, you know what, this this is I'm not sitting on this. What what brought that on? Just getting tired of compiling a bunch of stuff at once and having enough material to go on and started finding people slowly from Prog Power to 
the music scene in the Tampa Talk Bay Talk to me area. about that. What, what is Prague Power? Prague Power is a heavy metal festival that's in Georgia every year and actually just came back from that a few days ago selling merchandise for a beer on bound funny enough so I'm still a little bit jet lagged from all that but it's a community based heavy metal festival with a whole bunch of power metal progressive metal and everything in between and very cool very community based and very open for merchants and smaller bands to sell their stuff as well and very, very community-based, and there's only going to be three left, so uh, if you're thinking about getting the ticket to that, you might want to get on that. Is that, um, that's been going on for a while? For like 22, 23 years. Holy smokes. <laughs> and that sort of scene is big here in the South? Pretty big in the southern region of the United States, yep. Because I know uh, that Tampa's got a lot of history with that sort of music, right? It was the capital of death metal at one point. And that okay, so this is this is fertile ground for that. Yeah. Okay, so 2018, you got these songs, and they're done at this point, or this is when you've got the pieces and you're ready we to got, put the puzzle together. We got the majority of the pieces together. Still did a bit of tweaking and writing between 2018, 2019. And what's that process like? And so that was. First, getting Michael Calza to do the vocals. Then I recruited a second guitar player to do additional solos for a couple of the songs and ended up being a guitar duel between me and him for Astro Reflection. Nice. And a bunch of session musicians, Peter Dorena and Jack Costo did mastering for the record and a whole bunch of guest musicians along the way as well. And Angel do you Fl- pre-pro this all out yourself? Yep. So pre-pro, all the guitar parts, the orchestral parts, and for the orchestral parts, that's what I'm going to my engineer, John Galloway, and he and I are going back and forth for the different keyboard sounds, orchestral sounds, and then whoever else is also taking part of the additional elements of that. Frank Sacramone from Earthside co-wrote two interludes, Chaotic Fervor and Melancholic Zen, that transition into their respective tracks as well. And that's me and him going back and forth on what the layout's going to be. Melancholic Zen is finding contentment in chaos, which leads into My Sweet Stockholm about Stockholm Syndrome. Chaotic Fervor is chaos, the embodiment of chaos, taunting Zen, which leads into Astral Reflection, which is the embodiment of good and evil taking flourish in. So this is this is a thing that I've been kind of asking a lot of the musicians that come in, and, and I think you're a really good one to represent this. You clearly have an album that's meant to be listened to as an entirety, and you've clearly put thought and effort into it as a complete body of work. Yet we're now kind of living in this landscape where if you don't shovel out a couple singles and play that game, exactly. So how do you how do you mitigate the effort and the the consciousness you've put behind a package you know you can't exactly put out the way you want it to, even if you release it as a whole album? Well, I to try to answer this in such a way without offending those types of people that only want it's the It's a weird landscape. It's a weird landscape nowadays. My whole approach with multiplicity was I don't want it to feel like a collection of songs, which right. I know that's how the casual listener is going to look at that, and that's perfectly fine. They're entitled to do that. But if you could find a way to please that aspect of the listener of the listener and then you still find a way to represent yourself as an artist and for the people that are looking for more out of the arts which you want to just listen to a collection of songs we have a luther mania emotive servitude my sweet stockholm you can listen to those individually as you see fit la di da di da but if you want to get into that a little more you have the interludes, you have the intros, you have the outros, you have everything that comes together in between, which, if you want to test out this theory, get rid of the intro and outro track, get rid of Malangolic Zen, Chaotic Fervor, and Precocious Tribalism, and listen to those seven songs, eight songs, whatever they are, and try listening to those and come back and see how it feels without those tracks. Right. So it, it, how, how, do you, how do you navigate that? You just, you just accept it? I just accept it. At the end of the day, I want to feel proud of my work. I don't want to feel like I could have done more, which is funny me saying that because we always go back to our work later on and we're always, this could have been tweaked more. I could have added a couple more notes or taken out a couple notes here. I could have done this better. We could have done this better with the vocals. We could have done. We we all get, we all get caught up in the what ifs, but at the end of the day, it's whatever feels good at the moment, whatever's satisfactory, not perfect, satisfactory, which the, 
borderline OCD perfectionist side always gets caught up in that. <laughs> yeah, and I find it really strange, especially across genres, how everybody navigates that. Because if you think about a movie, if the trailer were 45 minutes long, you'd never go watch the movie. Absolutely. But if you give away four tracks of a 10-song album, people will still debatably listen to the whole 10 songs. And the whole thing about the single approach now, release half a record now, release two-thirds of a record now before the... You might as well have not put out the record at that point. Yeah, it's... Which a, it's, I, I get you want to have an approach that's modern. you got to keep up with the times with how marketing's done, but you got to find a balance. Like, we did three singles before releasing this record, for instance, which right. three to five, depending on how many tracks you have on the record, that's Standard all, well and good, all well and good, but try not to give away too much before... Yeah, especially when you yeah. got something like your record where these intros and outros and interludes were not afterthoughts. They're they're deliberate. Yep. Yeah, so here's here's the uh here's the tie-in million dollar question with that. When you release your record, what day of the week do you release it on? Typically you release the record on Friday. That's the answer. <laughs> do you know why I ask that? And why do you ask that? Because for fifty years, Tuesday was the day. Tuesday was always the day all media, whether it was a VHS or DVD back in the day, mm-hmm. or cassettes or CDs, they were always released on Tuesdays, mm-hmm. and there was a whole bunch of old marketing behind that. But it's so funny now, and the reason why I ask is because everybody says Friday, and the the days that was literally five plus decades of releasing albums on Tuesdays, nobody even remembers anymore. <sighs> so I still release my albums on Tuesdays because nobody cares. <laughs> Tuesday, and and now you're starting to see that with singles. So you start to see bands releasing singles on Wednesdays, Mondays, Tuesdays, but the albums always on a Friday. The EP's always on a Friday, but right. singles, whatever the fuck you want. Right. So how do you navigate that? Because do you, you don't play live currently, right? We did a couple shows live earlier this year, but we had a couple of changes in the lineup and we want to make sure that everything is all well and good with that. And we, at the same time, have a couple albums worth of material that we're already working on just so we have enough material, old and new, to get out when we start doing shows more next year. And pray that we get on to some very nice festivals. There you go. So uh, I'm right in the fact that you're the sole composer of this, and then you bring on your production team? During the debut album, yes, I was the main composer. And then Frank Sacramon composed the Melancholic Zen and the Chaotic Fervor interludes. Stephen Mundinger co-composed Precocious Tribalism, and then John Galloway and myself worked together on the intro track, Astral Projection, and Aaron Fanem for the outro as well. But main composer. So when you shop for band members, as it were, for want of a better term, you've got the material all done, and it's just, I need somebody to play parts X, Y, and Z. Pretty much, yes, except for Astral Reflection, the solos, that was me and Phil going back and forth on how the solos would go for the guitar duel section. Gotcha. And then for the bass, when Kyle Sokol's in the band now, but back when he wasn't in the band, I hired Peter Durana as a session bassist and phenomenal, phenomenal bassist. If you need session work or live gigs, go hit him up. Nice. But uh, yeah, I just let him have free reign, suit the song. Don't be too much of a control freak. You do your thing. You know what you're doing with your instrument. Just compliment the song. Right. So you give the guys some fair latitude. Mm-hmm. When you play live, how do you handle it? Because you've got all the orchestration and things. Do you play to in-ears and clicks? In-ears and clicks. And the technical difficulties that come with that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but you also do guitar playing for other bands, right? For Like It Though, yes. They are a Canadian power progressive metal band. I actually met through Proc Power nice. last year. And that was when I was shopping for a new vocalist back when the original vocalist, Michael, decided to step down for personal reasons and focusing on his own personal life. But when I was shopping around for a new vocalist back in last year, James Delbridge, I hit him up for that. And he got caught up with Lycanthrow predominantly, and he was also in looks for another guitar player. And it was actually supposed to be a touring gig for the Canadian shows and the U.S. shows back when things were still working out with the other guitar player, but ended up not being so. So now we're working on album two together, which we're sending to release sometime next year around summer, fall. You'll see on the social medias when that's a thing. So right now it's a juggling act of a Pure Unbound and Lycanthrow 
don't conflate the releases too much. So right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and when you play live with them, is it similar? You play clicks? No and- clicks. That's yeah. That's the whole thing. Like when I started playing guitar and going from middle school, high school up into 2018, that's when I'm just free flow. That's no backing tracks, no in ear monitors. So I'm already used to that. The in ear stuff because of all the layers of keyboards and the odd time signatures and everything that's going on with that. You need that setup for that sort of band. Whereas like it throw, we're starting to add more orchestral elements as well as some more proggy elements, but there's still a lot of room for leeway and just no hassle of gear. That's what I, that was actually going to be my next question. So what's your live rig like? Do you use the same rig for both setups? Yeah, do you so do amp I'm, and cab? Are you direct? Where are we I'm at all, these I'm days? all direct. What I'm are all you, direct. Kemper, Axe Effects? I, I was Kemper for a little bit. And I was Line 6 before, but now I'm Quad Cortex. Ah. Quad Cortex. I love that thing so much. And you use that for both projects? Yep. And when you do, do you do you run that into any amp on stage so you've got monitor, or are you just doing front in of house? In the early days, I did, but I just do more DI nowadays. How hard was that to get used to? It's It sucks when you're not having the amplifiers behind you, so you're just winging it. You're just, in a way, practicing extra hard and using your intuition and you're making sure you're hitting all the right strings that you need to for the chords or for the leads or whatever. So in a way, you have to be a lot more careful on where you place your notes and your fingers since you can't hear everything on the stage and everyone's hearing what's out there. So And it's so clean in your ears. Yep. So does that did that mess with you at all? I mean, in the a little, a little you, bit initially, yeah. Do you ever have those times where you feel disconnected because it's so perfect in your ears? It a little bit at first. It's just one of those things you have to get used to. You're going from having a regular amp setup with mic and how things were done before, and then it's just like getting used to anything else. It's gonna feel disconnected a little bit, but then you just get used to it as time goes on. How much of an advantage do you find it to have that consistency in your tone every night, though? It definitely helps, and it brings more of the album experience, especially with a Puron with the backing tracks, and you're not constantly having to reinvent the wheel on how certain synth sounds would be or how the choir sections will be or how this will be, which you bring a little more of the album experience live, but you still have to be proficient enough to perform what you need to perform at the same time. And I'm sure it probably helps you balance the the density of your mixes mm-hmm. live as well. Having that control absolutely does help. Yes. Yeah. So what's uh, what's the plan for gigging now? You got uh, more of the guitar gigs coming up, or it's yep. focus on a pure on bound. So October 19th, my Canadian band Lycanthrow is playing for Unleash the Archers. We're opening up for them in Ottawa, Canada. Cool. Might have a couple more shows up there. Don't know what's going on with that yet. As for a period, we are focusing on writing album two as of now and going to have a couple little snippets of what's to come with the new vocalist and everything next year. And then standalone singles for a period in 24, like and throw album late 24, mid 24, whenever we get all that stuff done. With and you track two. with them too? Yep. You track and write with them too? Track with them too. And then 25 is tentatively going to be album two for a period. Very cool. So I know we touched a little bit on the Quad Cortex. What are you using for a guitar? For a guitar, I got a whole bunch of Schecters. Got the Hellraiser Hybrid. I got the Silver Mountain. I got the Keith Marrow models, which the best guitars you could ever ask for. Yeah. So light like the Ibanez S series, but it's still got the durability at the same time. And Keith Marrow, his his guitar pickups. <laughs> love his guitar pickups. Nice and hot. Cl- nice and hot. Clarity on all the notes since I do a whole bunch of major nine and jazz chords and all that other stuff. You I need, did notice that. You you need that for the type of stuff that we're doing in Appear on for sure. Do you play in a standard tuning? Nope. <laughs> That's where a lot of my bandmates like to get on me for that. Yeah, talk to me about so that. So I have a whole bunch of open tunings that I use. There's a couple standard tunings that I use, which for apps and familiarity and astral flexion, that's from the sixth string down, that's drop B, and then the seventh string is a G sharp. That's pretty much CAFO. If you're familiar with animals as leaders, that's standard tuning, plus the sixth string is tuned down to a drop D. That's pretty much the same concept, but tuned lower. And then for Thought and Memory, Luther Mania, and Firmament, that is a completely different open tuning with open A major 7, A, E, A, E, G sharp, C sharp, E. And then for Stockholm. So nice thick ones with that <laughs> yeah. one. 
And then I'm taking a note from Devin Townsend with his open tunings for My Sweet Stockholm and Emotive Service. So it's the GCGC. But a step below. But but a step lower. That's uh, so you're starting with A. Open B. Oh, okay, okay. Open B on Stockholm on Emotive. So that's F sharp B, F sharp B, F sharp B, D sharp. Very cool. Okay, so then if we're starting with Tony Hawk and we're starting with punk rock, these are definitely songs in standard. <laughs> you know, your dream theaters yeah. and you're getting in there. So but how do you get to the point where you really branch out? Where does where does that line happen where you're playing a seven string, you're tuning a guitar different? You can't start there. That's around sophomore to junior. Okay, so for the open tunings, that's... What brought that on? Around sophomore to junior year of high school, that's when YouTube starts to become predominant, taking the guitar lessons at the same time, and then obsessively looking up different artists on YouTube every night after getting done with homework, and then you run into the mad scientist, that's Devin Townsend, and you see that he's playing open C, and he's just wailing away, and he's playing arpeggios while he's having his stand-up comedy hour on Diodario, and you just get mind-blown as to how proficient he is as a musician, as well as the different tones you get from that. So I started with open C on the sixth string, and then went down lower to an open B, and that's when he was starting to release stuff for Devin Townsend Project, mm-hmm. He Addicted, and then stuff from Deconstruction and Ghost later on. And then 7th String, that comes around my senior year of high school, a little bit after I graduated senior year of high school. That's when I also dabbled into open A major 7 at the same time. And just gets crazier from there, tuning-wise. And yeah. So Devin Townsend was a big influence. Oh, 100%. And not only with the guitar tunings, but the way that I write music, the way that he's not compromising with his vision for what he wants out of his projects, whether it's Ocean Machine, whether it's Ghost, whether it's whatever he wants to do. You have Dream Theater, which they're all about 100,000 different time signatures. And then yeah, right. have Devin Townsend with his progressive approach as to one album is going to be an Andrew Lloyd Webber type of <laughs> schizophrenic orchestra, and then you get a new wage ambient album this and somewhere record. Ziltoid and somewhere Ziltoid somewhere <laughs> Punky Brewster somewhere yeah. Ocean Machine but yeah. so you're not stuck with one definition of progressive with the different time signatures progressive is more in the mindset of how do you make yourself how do you make yourself stand out from this record or this song right there how important is it for you to have that type of latitude in your writing? Because you don't, I mean, you, you could get lumped in the power metal genre and all that stuff, but especially with the interludes and the instrumental oh, bits, yeah. you cover quite a bit of territory. How important is it for you to maintain that? Is, is that really the core? Write what sounds good. At the end of the day, your listeners will respect that. The casual listeners, and even sometimes the more in-depth listener might be confused at first. It's subconscious of us to want to lump everything in a box at once but at the end of the day if you're writing what sounds good if you're serving the song then people will start to catch on to that more and more and the rest follows right and how long did that take to happen for you I'm still going through the process now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean you know when you first start out you're you're dead unknown you got a, a reasonable amount of people that listen to your material on a monthly basis. How how long does that take when you're, or, or I should say, how was that road for you when you're not out there pounding the pavement, playing a bunch of gigs? You know, you're not necessarily going that traditional route. How did you gain the steam you've gotten thus far? I'm just building relationships with people from the Florida scene to building an online community and COVID gave us a lot of leeway. And yeah, what was more. that like? <sighs> so... COVID. Because I know that was really odd timing for you. It was odd timing. Well, for everyone. Well, for everyone, yeah. But uh, for planning, it's more of a silver lining for us, in all honesty. I know that might sound weird for us to say, but it's Mm -hmm. a silver lining in that it gave us extra time to figure out how we wanted to market the songs and how we want to represent that. We hire Costin from Romania to do an animation for My Sweet Stockholm and the music video for that. We're not doing a warehouse music video for that type of song. No. That would be cheesy as all fuck and not right. serve the theme of that song. We yeah, we'll definitely have to link to that video so people can see that. <laughs> Hell yeah. And then come up with a theme for Emotive Servitude video, the animation for Eleuthermania, what we're going to do with this colossal music video for Absent Familiarity and just... Do uh, the videos tie together like the music? <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you're good. <coughs> You'll probably cut that out. Yeah. <laughs> That's the beauty of editing. Oh, yeah. So do you, what did I just say? 
Uh, the music videos. I think oh, yeah. Touching up. Yeah. Do the music videos tie together like the songs do? Absolutely. So we have a theme for emotive servitude. We have the, some people might have caught on to this, the self-aware band music video warehouse on air. Everyone does the thing with the theme of emotive servitude being about the downfall of society of emotional manipulation from the socio-political climate, religious climates, the corporatist climates. And then you have a band that's representing that thing. And then you get the theme of Stockholm Syndrome with the animation for My Sweet Stockholm. Then you get similar themes of emotive and eleutheromania, but it's a little more tame in comparison to that. You get the Delusions of Grandeur theme with Absent Familiarity, where you have this rock star that thinks he's hot shit and he's having his life fall apart in a pool party setting, which that represents the fantasy of his mind. And then you get the Warehouse Band, which represents the reality of that situation. And and all this is animated, or you film some no, of it the as well? On, no, the animations were only Stockholm and Eleuthermania, and then okay. the real-life band stuff was emotive and absent. Very cool. And who films your videos? So Lightwave Studios helped out with Absent Familiarity. The main studio that did that was White Flame Studios. They're based out of Georgia. Lightwave is based out of St. Petersburg, Tampa. They helped out with secondary footage for that. They were the main guys for Emotive Servitude. Costin Giorreno was the animator for My Sweet Stockholm. He also did a full album visualizer for us as well. And then Cameron Burns did the 3D animations. And then Tom, DeWi- Tom DeWitt did secondary editing for Luther Mania as well. Very cool. And do you conceptualize these and hand them off? Or do you work in tandem with them? We have the main themes of the song at hand, and then we let the creatives from the videographers and animators come up with their own interpretations of that. So would you say the videos have been an important part of the momentum you've been able to gain in lieu of visuals, the fact that you're not out there? Visuals are equal to music, in our opinion. Visuals, you, you can have a great song, you can have great production, but if you have a cheesy warehouse music video, that's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> So you, you've seen the videos, you know, increase the listening. It's yes. not just people watching the videos. Absolutely. So <clears throat> what's the next theme is, is do you, do you, when you, you said you got all this extra material, I, I imagine you write pretty much nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I figured that part. So when you have this material, do you have a concept and then the material or do you write the material and the concept starts to kind of unveil itself to you? So it's a little bit of. A mixed bag, so I've had some of these songs for a good chunk of time, and it's just a matter of dividing up this song could go on this record, this song could go on that record, this unfinished idea we could either put in the back burner for another idea, or it could fit here, it could fit here, it could fit here, and then me and the new vocalist are coming up with a theme right now that's, as much as I'm going to say about that, it's more about the circle of life. So some themes from album one, but it's also going to be a bit more personalized for albums too and whatever else we decide to do for future releases so the vocalist you're working with now you're having the band permanently or he's a fixture okay because before this you had a bunch of guests right yep and michael causa was the permanent vocalist during that time but he stepped down for personal reasons okay 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 so now it's the two of you and then whomever and then kyle sokol's our full-time bassist chris hoffman is our full-time drummer and we're still going to be working with whoever in the session realm and the guest realm, whoever fits a particular song or theme. So what's the part that feeds you and your motivation? I know you're apparently, I mean, obviously an intrinsic writer, but is it, is your biggest payoff when you get to play the gigs, if they're sporadic or is your biggest payoff when you're tabbing that riff and you know, that seed's going to be a song someday, (laughs) where's the point that fuels you the most? If it relates to the listener in some sort of way, hell, we just, got a message on our Facebook messenger some time ago talking about their appreciation for us having merchandise at the Prague power table. And they've been jamming the records nonstop and they've been feeling the vibes of the songs. They've been feeling firmament a lot, which touches on escapism, which fits the theme of what's been going on the last few years. People love that. It's the biggest payoff for me at the end of the day is what it does for the listener. You can play as many gigs as you want or, as less gigs as you want. You can write so many songs, but at the end of the day, what kind of impact you're having for the listener. Yeah. And your music is, is definitely impactful. That's for sure. 
we're, we're trying. <laughs> so what's the uh, what's the future look like then? We're going to start recording when? Start recording around early to mid-24. Because you got to juggle that with the live gigs? Got to juggle that with the live gigs. Got to juggle that with like and throw and all that stuff. So what would you say is the biggest challenge for someone in your spot? The biggest challenge is, hmm, the biggest challenge is you got to do away with dishonest hobbyists. That's a major thing when you're working with musicians or anyone in a particular scene. You're juggling with the business side, which, yeah, that has its own. That's a that has its own category right there. But it's the long game. It's persistence. It's the good days. It's the bad days. It's seeing where. It, Seeing what where the journey takes you next, from this show to that show to having the spark to go on, and yeah, and as long as that positive feedback's coming in, as that long spark's as you're, not hard to get. As long as you're having a positive impact on a small group of people, I think you'll be okay. Yeah, you don't need to have everyone like you. If you have, if your goal is to get everyone to like you, then don't even bother doing this type of music. Right. I did notice that you've got a fair amount of traction overseas. It seems like. A lot of overseas listeners. I know your style of music is a bit more popular there. I should say a bit more common overseas. Yeah. How does that happen? So we got onto an independent label, Laird Reality Productions, that specializes in progressive metal, symphonic, avant-garde. And for our branch of music, and especially for learning the business side and seeing how all that unfolds, that's a great label to get started on. And that's a great way to learn about the PR side of things and certain business avenues on how all that works out and each step you take is just getting you closer to your goals as a band and so you had a european label that helped you market there helped market there yep and then we got a pr marketing team c squared music that helped with north america and other parts of the world as well so they helped out with additional marketing avenues so how do you start that? I tend to ask people, you know, if you're good at whatever you think, you're clearly a, a talented composer and a talented guitarist. What are some of the other things you've been forced to get good at that you didn't expect, like understanding these PR Social media. Oh, that's Social two in a row. That's two in a row that have answered that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's going to be the answer. It's <coughs> a little bit dry. Sorry about no, that. No, you're good. I got to, I'm going to get you another water for uh, one. Yes, please. You want to go grab another water? Yeah. It's, uh, are they still on the counter? Um, they're in the cupboard. Cupboard. Yeah. Whew, sorry about that, man. No, you're good. Just don't worry about it. Yeah, just I'm. I'm sure worse has happened here. Well, to be dead honest, we had an older gentleman in here who invented a microscope, right? And he's <laughs> just wildly avant-garde individual, super duper intelligent, but savanti, you know. Yeah. And he stood up at one point to demonstrate something with his microscope and he went to sit back down on the chair, but he sat at the edge of the chair and pushed it out and just ate shit clearly. And the chair slammed into the wall. Oh, it was horrid. Oh, I felt so bad for him. And uh and yeah, he took it like a chair. But then the, the real sad reality was he went to sit in the chair again and almost did the exact same thing. Oh, man. So we went and got him a different stool without the wheels. And it was like, okay, you know, here you can you can fucking not fall out of this. Actually, one. that's one of my favorite moments because oh, when I handed him the new stool, he like handed me the chair and he was like, take that thing outside and shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, worse has happened. Time to go, Mister Ed. Yeah. Oh, it was rough. So, what, what was it? What was my last question, anyways? Uh, you were talking about. Let me think. You were talking about social media. Oh, yeah. That, I'm the second person to say social yeah. media. Yeah. Okay. So, social media is the other skill you've gotten good at. Tell me a little bit about that, because I know it's different for everybody, and it seems to be that this is going to be a common theme. Well, it's constantly changing, so right when you think you're getting good at something, the algorithm is kicking your ass in other ways. If you're not posting your TikTok videos 20 times a day, if you're not doing your Polyphia clone-esque guitar clip of the day, then you're not going to get far. Or if you start to pick that up, that all of a sudden the algorithm's not going to like that so much. It's a constant, constant game of chase, so it's a... Matter of finding a happy medium with what works for you. What might work for a vlogger posting 20 clips a day, that's not going to work for a lot of musicians. 
being a sleep token clone is not going to make this band take off. Like you get in the mask and the wardrobes that works for that band. This aesthetic might work for, for this band. If another band tries that, it's going to be cheesy as all fuck. Right. And that's the same thing with social media. I think is just finding what works for you. And right now for us, it's a little bit slow. It's just a bunch of throwback stuff and some playthrough videos that we're working on right now. And just, getting that aesthetic out of the way until we start getting more stuff ready for newer material. Have the playthrough videos and that stuff been the, the most successful for you as it, as it relates to bringing in people who may not be familiar with the band? Some bedroom playthrough videos have picked up a little bit. We just did a high, I say high budget. We did a bass playthrough video with our bassist Kyle Soko a few months back. That's been taken off a little bit, made some content around that, and we're getting ready to do a drum playthrough video of one of the other songs as well next week, getting that filmed, and then hopefully get that up sometime in October, and just taking it slow with that right now, since yeah, just release a record, and that doesn't mean you got to start pushing new stuff out right away. Right. That's something that I see a lot of people in the scene just get worked up about is they constantly feel like they have to constantly push new stuff. Get people to get to know your stuff first, especially as a new band. If you keep piling stuff on top of each other, on top of each other, on top of each other, people aren't going to know where to start. So show them where to go. Do remixes of the old songs. Do playthrough videos of all the different instruments. Find what sounds good and stop trying to be like everyone else. Right. Do you, so you have a YouTube channel for that? We have a YouTube channel for the playthroughs and for extra content like that. YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. I just treat like an Instagram account anyway. And Laird Reality has all the and Laird Reality has all the music videos for our stuff and label related stuff. So right now it's just a matter of the existing on the internet pushing the reality. It's a matter of existing on the internet and not looking like a cheese ball trying to follow every trend and dance TikTok thing. <laughs> yeah, which is it's it's a fine line to walk. It's a fine line to walk. So what what would you say of your social media is primary? Do you are you primary Instagram, primary TikTok, primary YouTube, or you just got to do you're just doing everything? I'm focusing on Meta right now. Yeah, Meta, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I treat like Instagram, but since you can't post photos on there, you can't do as much, and you got to worry about copyright on TikTok. Since you upload more than forty five seconds of a clip, then. They mute your video, which that's part of the reason I stopped uploading to TikTok so much. Their copyright system's garbage. But uh, yeah, it's just juggling. So if you had to give one piece of advice to your 2011 self, let's say, when you start to compile this material, what would it be? Advice to 2011 Stout. Yeah. Gotta find the most you, important you, one. you know a little shit from applesauce at this point, but the book's <laughs> opening. Well, don't care about what other people think. Avoid dishonest hobbyists that say they want to do big things, but they're not pulling in half the weight that you're pulling. And learn to boot the people that you need to boot out. Keep the right people around you that are genuinely showing interest in your goals and share the same values. Not all the values, but as long as there's similar values being shared and as long as they're showing genuine interest and their actions are proving to be an asset to you, then keep those people around. Don't wait until things start imploding. Very good advice. What do you think attributes to the, what's the term you got for it? Hop, what's the Dishonest hobbyist. Dishonest hobbyist. That's a good one. That's a good one because that couches a lot of some of the oh dishonest hobbies. Oh, you're getting the ranting yeah. side of yeah. Andrew coming yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, because oh, because that's that's a real thing that a lot of people who have had to find. And bad you use on music, yeah. and you see these cocksuckers that are in the music scene. They say they have all these different ideas. They say that you gotta follow trends from 10 years. If you're not writing the same type of style that Blackville Brides is doing, then you're not going to make it. If you're not dressing up a sleep token, then your band's not going to make it. If you're not following this social media trend or that TikTok dance or this, that, 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 that you're not going to fucking make it, kid. Right. You might as well hang it up. Like, no, no. 
And then these are the people that don't pull in their weight, and then you call them on it, and then they try to gaslight you and call you this ungrateful person that's not appreciative of the time that they're putting in when it's half the weight that you're pulling as a, not only as a musician, but when you're a musician in this day and age, you're doing business, you're handling all the PR. Even when you're hiring your own PR team, you're hiring all the PR marketing firms, you're talking to the label guy, you're talking to the videographer for the music video shoots, you're talking to the photographers. More things you had to get good at because you learned to play guitar. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I'm still learning. Yeah. And that's the thing. Some people think that there's a plateau of when you stop learning and you just let everyone take care of. You're not at that age anymore. The rock and roll lifestyle is over. Over. It's been long dead. At this point, it's a carcass rotting, and the musk is just yeah. fucking up your sinuses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to be on point now in a whole new way. There's Absolutely. no question about that. The rock and roll lifestyle is over now. You're a businessman. You are a business if you are a band. That does not mean you sacrifice artistic integrity. If, you're, if your goal is to sacrifice artistic integrity, maybe you're not in it for the right reasons. Right. So how do you walk that line? Because that's the tricky that that is without a doubt now the trickiest line since most musicians have to have their PR hat, their management hat, all that stuff. How do you walk the line between getting too caught up in trying to be a marketable power metal band that Europeans or whomever would like and just being what you want to be? I think of the what ifs. What if we settle for less or what if we settle for what's popular now and you think about where that would take you in this case if we follow the trends of this yeah your numbers might be up for a shorter amount of time you might get a boost but then you're going to be forgotten just as easily if you follow this trend or follow this tiktok dance you could be making all the right moves for that short amount of time but those people aren't going to care about your values those people don't care about your art just like when you see a lot of musicians that become meme pages on facebook i'm sure you've seen some of those you're not going to be known for the music you're not going to be known for this you're gonna think later on down the line you should have done more you could have done more but you chose to get caught up in the moments and it's okay to get caught up in the moment in certain areas but when it's starting to affect you as a person and your ideals then you got to think about the future a little bit too. So your ethos in this really does rest on playing the long game. Absolutely. How hard is that when everyone around you is telling you what you what you just said? You got to look like this. You got to sound like this. You got to put this out. Da 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 da. It's hard. You're going to have a lot of ears, and as you start getting deeper into the game, you're going to have even more ears and more peer pressure to do the thing, do the dance, do this, do that. But standing by your ideals and having the right people makes it much easier. But it's thinking about the what ifs and having alternative scenarios playing in your head, at least in my case, of what if I did this? What if I followed this? What if I took this person's advice to do that? Yeah, it might work out for a short amount of time. Might You might look like a fucking joke at the end of the day. Like you see these bands that were popular 10 years ago that are becoming butt rock pop acts yeah right and you see how that turns out for a lot of those bands yeah yeah you can start off like mr bungle and faith no more and end up yacht rock <laughs> absolutely <And> those, <laughs> that band can remain nameless um so what what were some of your big influences that, that allowed you to to ha- have that ethos exemplified to you and have the will to carry it out what was some of the stuff that influenced you so musically devin townsend would be my biggest inspiration in terms of staying grounded in your principles and writing and performing what sounds good to you at that particular moment. In terms of personal life, I have my mom to thank for pushing me in the direction to keep going on with music when I had family members that did everything they could to get me out from performing music and discouraging me in every little way, which all of a sudden are starting to show a little bit of interest of what's going on now that I have a slight bit of success. And friends that that yeah you know you know those types of friends that aren't really there for you but then they start picking up on what you're doing all of a sudden they want to play catch up yeah right and then you have the genuine friends that are always there through the good bad and ugly that you keep around and make sure you don't let go of that um life in general is an influence everyday work with uber everyday work with caregiving traveling um, different musical influences. I mentioned Devin Townsend being an influence. 
then you get the different eras. You get the dead Kennedys from Tony Hawk. You get Rage Against the Machine from Tony Hawk 2. Then you get Metallica. Then you get each stepping stone that gets into the musical aspect of it. Then you get Ocarina of Time for the orchestral storytelling elements of the songwriting. And everything just adds up after a while. Well, you bring up something interesting. If your family wasn't necessarily keen on this, I imagine it's because your intellect you could have put to... Pretty much I could have put into being an engineer yeah, or so, so here's some one, sort of white-collar work. So yeah. here's one of my fun questions. Had you not stumbled down the, the string vibration rabbit hole, what do you think you would be doing? I would be a miserable alcoholic doing some sort of white-collar <laughs> work. Okay. That's what okay. I would be okay. doing. Okay. <laughs> if, if, if you didn't have a destitute alcoholic version, what would, what would the positive version you'd be doing? What would the one thing else? Version. Let's just say you, or you couldn't play guitar anymore. What would you do with yourself? I would want to do something that helped other artists. So maybe some legal work, maybe some sort of management work for other artists and make sure they don't get screwed over by the industry. That's something I would want to do. Because the art's a passion for you regardless. Absolutely. I love that. That's awesome. We need more people that can can champion. I'm the I'm the high schooler that made bootleg copies of CDs and passed them out to friends. Oh, here's a Camelot CD you might like. You're, I know you're not into heavy metal because of the screaming, but here's heavy metal with orchestras and clean vocals. Here's that. Here's that. Here's that. So what? Here, I got two fun questions that we can get you out of here. First one on: What's your number one record of all time? <sighs> Devin Townsend, Ocean Machine, Biobeck. Okay, I can go along with that big time. Okay, here's the two question. This one's even easier and more fun. If you can put a period bound on a tour tomorrow, you direct support and some big name. Who is it? Okay, well. I'd love Devin Townsend and Metallica to be under the same roof. That would be something. That if if we opened up for Devin Townsend and Metallica, that would make my life. Those are two of my biggest influences of all time as a writer. James Hetfield, don't sleep on James Hetfield as a songwriter, man. No. No, and you can think about songs like Unforgiven and all that. Imagine writing Unforgiven those. and Justice for All, I Have the Beholder. I Have the Beholder has two fucking courses. That band, that album right there, despite all the bullshit with the bass production, the songwriting on that record, they were going leaps and bounds on that record. Their aggression was there. The experimentation was there. And just when you think they couldn't get any higher, they have the Black Album, which I still love that record. I still yep, love same. Black Album, the production of it. And that's when they started tying in more to the anthemic side of things. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, that's a solid answer. And uh, I'm looking forward to the day when I can come see you up here on Bound with Devin Townsend and Metallica. I'm there, brother. That would brother. be awesome. <laughs> Thank you for coming, man. I'm Thanks looking for forward to me. it. Peace, man. All right. Take care.